Oh, the weather outside's delightful, but this podcast is so very frightful. And since we've got no place to go, listen to Judo Chop Suey Show. Yuletide greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a festive Kwanzaa, and whatever religions and uh, observations are out there. I don't want to miss any of them, so I'm just going to include all of them. Hope you're all doing well today. It is December 12th, 2017. T-minus five days till I go on my cruise and go on vacation for the first time since I went to Breckenridge way back in January. So I'm really looking forward to that. Tell you the truth, I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) I know I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. I'm getting on a boat and we're going to the Caribbean somewhere. I don't think it's going to be Nassau. I think maybe Trinidad and Tobago. I have no idea. I just know I'm going to do some snorkeling. I'm going to drink some alcohol for the first time in a very long time. And I'm going to just enjoy myself and enjoy my vacation. I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, Christmas is in less than two weeks. I still got a lot of Christmas shopping to do. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not here to just talk about Christmas. I'm here to talk about what's going on in the world of judo. I'm here to talk about what's going on in my life, which is typically done in the housekeeping items of the podcast. But I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Before I get to anything else, I'm wondering if you guys are enjoying this jazz version of Let It Snow. I'm not sure who's performing it. I just stole it from YouTube. (laughs) But I feel a scat song coming on. If you guys you don't know what that is, scat singing is something they do in jazz where they feel a beat and they go skeepity beep bop, skeepity bop bop boop, yeah. Hope you enjoy that. That's gonna pump me up and get me through the rest of this hideous podcast. All right, where was I? How y'all doing today? I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be back behind the microphone. I'm trying to get this every two weeks. I promise the guest I'm going to record that episode shortly before I leave. I hope I can get him on um, but and, and have that ready for you for, for the next uh, following two weeks. So we'll see how that goes. I'm hoping to get him on. If not, I will have an episode recorded. Uh, prior to my vacation and then I'll just enjoy it and not have to stress about doing an episode once I get back because things are going to be super busy between Christmas. My sons are going to visit their grandfather up in Massachusetts, my father, and they're looking forward to having a good time as well. That's their Christmas gift. So I still got a few things I want to get to them, but that's going to be their premier Christmas gift. They get to go spend time with grandpa. So anyway. On this episode, I want to talk about some of the results from the Tokyo Grand Slam. That was a major event and had some fantastic action. I also want to talk about uh, one of my favorite blogs that I love reading, Travis Stevens' blog. He recently put up a post about USA Judo and he quickly took it down. Now, the funny thing is, is that I learned my lesson from the last time he did this. And as soon as I follow Travis on Twitter. I follow him on Instagram. He's one of the few people on Twitter that I set a notification for. So every time he posts something, I am fully aware of what he's posting. So when I saw this 
this uh, post uh, about USA Judo, I immediately went to archive.is, put in that URL, and archived it for for uh, future generations, for posterity, if one as one would say. So I want to talk about that article. I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. I'm sure Travis doesn't listen to this hideous podcast, but even if he did, Travis, sorry, man. You know, you put something out on on your blog. It's it's going to be noticed by me and I'm going to talk about it because I think you're an interesting guy. I think you're a very smart guy and I think you've got a lot of things to say. And I think a lot of what you say is spot on and I completely agree with you. And I don't agree with you because you're tougher than me and you have a silver medal. That's not why. I just happen to agree with a lot of what you say. So I'm going to talk about uh, uh, some of that. But first, as usual, I've got the housekeeping items to get out of the way. And I like this section a lot because it gives me a chance to talk to you and let you know what's going on in my life. I mean, I already told you some of that in the beginning of the episode. But i got to talk about some shows that I'm watching. I just finished The Punisher and Netflix... Bravo, bravo for finally putting out a Marvel show that doesn't suck, unlike that Iron Fist crap. And, and you know, Luke Cage was pretty cool, and then it fell apart at the end. And oh, what, what was that? The, um, the Defenders. Terrible, terrible way that show ended. I love both seasons of Daredevil, but I think The Punisher finally stepped it up in terms of quality of content, seriousness. It was just a fantastic show, very violent, and they definitely set it up for for future seasons. I just really, um, I I really enjoyed the show. I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. Let's just say. It, the traditional story of the Punisher is slightly changed in di- different ways to introduce a villain at the very end. And I really liked how they did it in this episode. I, I just thought it was brilliant. And uh, like I said before, it sets up for future episodes and future seasons. And I look, guys, I highly recommend watching the Punisher. If you can if you can handle the violence and, and, the, the, um, and some of the grotesqueness of it all. It's I, I thought it was a very, very well done from start to finish. It, it's a little slow in the beginning, but um, but it 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 finishes with a bang instead of a whimper like the defenders and, and certainly like Iron Fist. I, I hope I never see Iron Fist again um, that because that really wasn't very good at all. Another Netflix show finally made its way for a season two. If I don't know if you guys ever watched The Crown, it's about uh Queen Elizabeth as she was coming into her own power back in the 50s. God save the queen. And it's a really well done show. The acting is brilliant. The the casting is brilliant. I really can't believe how many actors they get to play key roles that they really look like the people. Uh, well, with the exception of, of um, oh goodness, who who is the actor who, who played Winston Churchill in season one? I mean, he didn't look like Churchill to me, but uh, John Lithgow. I think it was John Lithgow. Yeah, he played Churchill. He he acted him brilliantly. He just didn't really look like Churchill to me. So, But other than that, um, The Crown is a fantastic show. I'm making my way through that show right now. And what else, what else have I watched lately? There's this other show that just got dropped. It's called The Crown. Uh, no, not The Crown. I just talked about The Crown. It's called Dark. And I haven't finished it yet, but it's a really fascinating show. It's it's the problem is for for American audience for for us U.S. Americans, the show is done in German, 
and the ad libbing is is the the do you call it ad libbing? I, I can't remember what you call it. Overdubbing, maybe that's it. Uh, the the name's escaping me. Anyway, it's not very good. But if you can get past that and appreciate the story, I think it's really fabulous. And I, I highly worth recommend watching for sure. Lastly, I would be remiss if I didn't mention anything about December 15th, which is the day that the new Star Wars movie comes out. Tell you the truth, I've only watched one trailer and that was one of the earlier trailers or, um, earlier this year. I really have no idea what this movie's going to be about. And I'm telling you the truth, as a Star Wars fan, I'm not all that excited about it. I could care less, to, to be honest. I'm not going to watch it this coming up weekend. Well, because I'm going on my cruise. But even if I wasn't going on a cruise, I think I was going to... I think I was going to wait till the till the hype dies down and read the reviews. I usually like to wait. I mean, if it's a big big deal of a movie, which I guess this is, technically it counts as a big deal. I typically like watching it opening weekend. But I think I'm going to wait on this. I'll wait till after I come back from Christmas uh, or come back from my cruise. And maybe I'll go see it with my sons and, and, um, and enjoy that. But the thing that I'm really looking forward to on December 15th is... The release of Jean-Claude Van Johnson on Amazon Prime. I've made it no secret. I've said it many times. Jean-Claude Van Damme is one of my favorite action stars of all time. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, my wife doesn't understand why. You you had to have grown up in the 80s loving movies like Bloodsport and Kickboxer and, and all those other great movies. Double Team. Well, not Double Team. What is it called? Double Impact. That's right. It was Double Impact. And of course, Lionheart. Lionheart was awesome. I, my favorite, I think, probably out of all of that is Kickboxer because, you know, there's that scene where he's drunk and he does the dancing. I used to think he was a great dancer. He, he was on the Conan O'Brien show the other day doing that same dance. It was hysterical. Anyway, look, I love Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It's going to be a comedy and it's it's just really a parody of himself and his career, and 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 it's um looking forward to that far more than I'm looking forward to seeing Star Wars. But of course, it's Star Wars. I'm gonna get myself into the theaters to watch it. A couple of days ago, Travis Stevens put up a blog post about USA Judo, and um, hold on a second, I just got an email. Uh, it's it's from Christian. Christian, uh, I just received this email as I'm recording this, so I'm going to read this right now. Uh, hey Dave, may your days be merry and bright this holiday season. I've got my long ago promised voice recording here. Oh, sweet. It's it's concerning Judo Nawaza tournaments. Here's a link to a video that Judo BC gave about the rules. I have a PDF explaining the rules. I got one of these senseis. I got them from one of these senseis. I'll be asking if I can share it as if only sent to the senseis from Judo BC. Um... Okay, well, I didn't get any link here, but I did get a voicemail. I feel very excited about that. Let's see what Christian has to say. All right, Christian, take it away. Unintentional rhyme. Hey, Judo Dave. It's Christian from episode 24. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the upcoming IJF rules. Nawaza tournaments is one that's going to be happening here in February. I think I'm going to do. Maybe after that, I can make my triumphant return, the Judo Chop Suey podcast. Anyways, keep up the good work and bring back the leg grabs. Bring back the leg grabs, huh? Uh, President Visor, what do you have to say about that, sir? Buzz off, punk! Well, I guess that's a no. 
Um, now, in regards to your other question about coming back on the podcast, I'd love to have you, but uh, get in line because I got a few other people I need to bring on. But when I do bring you back on, Christian, I would like to do it in, as a co-hosting capacity. I think that would be a lot of fun. I've got somebody else that I got to bring on first, and, and I got another person I need to bring on from an interview standpoint. But yeah, this this um. I've fallen way behind in interviews, and, and for those that I've said that I bring you on the podcast, I apologize profusely. I'm trying to find proper time. Um, I, I say it a bunch of times seemingly over the past several months. I piecemeal this podcast 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there. It's really hard for me to find two hours these days to dedicate to a straight-through recording. So, um, In regards to the Judo Nawaza-only tournaments, I wish I had an opinion on that, but I, I really don't because I, I don't know anything about them. Nawaza-only tournaments seem to me to be the Santa Claus of the judo world. We often hear about it, and we're told how wonderful it is, but I've never actually seen one in with my own eyes. I, I, I guess they happen, but I've just never actually seen one, and I, I can't even imagine how a judo-nawaza tournament would work out. I mean, you you start off on the knees. Do Ippon not count? I mean, to, to me... A judo nawaza only tournament would be Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I don't really, I, I just don't know how it would be any other way. I, I suppose really the only way you could win a, a, a match is through uh, through nawaza, whether that's that's uh, Osaikomi or, or, or Kansetsu Wazu or Shime Waza. That's, if you were to have a judo-only tournament, I, I, I suppose that would be the only, you would set it up in a way that that's the only way that you could win. But yeah, unfortunately, Christian, you didn't send the link uh, to, to anything. And I, every time I'd search on Google, I, you know, kind of like Santa Claus or the boogeyman, we often hear about these kind of things, but we never actually see them. And I like, you know, I came across an article on BJJEE.com talking about judo Nawaza only tournaments, but I, I, they didn't really offer much detail and, I, yeah, I just don't know. Maybe I should check out YouTube. All right, I just took a three-minute break from checking out YouTube, and apparently there are Nawaza-only tournaments. And to tell you the truth, it's it's worse than I would have imagined if this is an example of Nawaza-only tournaments. I was hoping that through look, looking at YouTube that I wouldn't see a bunch of people uh, go on their knees and, and, and walk toward each other on their knees and start engaging in Nawaza, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, my God, the one YouTube video I watched was categorized under comedy. I, I, I kid you not. And I, I'm not saying, not laughing at the video, but I, I, I again, I, I just said it a couple, uh, a minute ago. If you're going to do, if you want to do Nawaza only tournaments, just, just do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to start off on the knees. And I can't imagine a high profile athlete on the IJF world tour ever going into a tournament like this. I mean, can you? Can you imagine Teddy Renair <laughs> going on his knees, <laughs> walking towards somebody on his knees like like Tushishvili and and engaging in <laughs> so that would be that that it is comical. Maybe maybe the category for that YouTube video I saw is spot on. Hey, and Christian, don't get it twisted. I'm not laughing at you. It's just the the thought of of, of Renair crawling on his knees toward Tushishvili just kind of made me laugh, but. If this is something you want to compete in or there's a lot of interest in this, hey, guys, go feel free and go for it. I, I just, I really don't understand it. To me, 
you may as well do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or participate in a freestyle Judo tournament where I think the the rules are are, are a lot better in terms of allowing leg grabs, in terms of, of the gripping sequence and and still a match can end in a pawn, but but there's no immediate stand up from from uh, Nawaza, and I think you know being able to push the uh, push the pace on the ground so long as you're not stalling, uh, they'll let you keep going and going until somebody loses. I, I think that's a I think that's a better way to go about it. But again, I I don't know how I don't know the rule structure. I I um, I, I I don't know. If you can win with just Osaikomi, and to me, if you can't win by Osaikomi, just it's it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You may you may as well just pull guard or or, or something. Uh, that that's that's kind of my take on it. But admittedly, it's an ignorant take because I I just don't I've not seen the rule set. I I don't know all the details to that. So sorry, Christian. But you know what? I appreciate the voicemail. If anybody else wants to send me a voicemail or an email, you could do it to. Uh, send it to judochopsuishow at gmail.com and I'll go through the, the my Twitter and Instagram is at La Vida Judoka and if you want to reach out to me on Facebook you can do that uh, which is just search for Judo Chop Sui Show on Facebook alright so now I want to get into something that Travis Stevens wrote on his blog and his blog can be read at blog.fujisports.com I highly recommend checking out this blog because he puts up a lot of great training tips. He puts up a lot of perspective on his uh, training regimen and training through injuries. And he, sometimes his posts are focused on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Some are focused on Judo. Some are just him sharing his opinion on different things. And he put up a post about maybe nine or ten days ago, almost two weeks ago. Regarding USA Judo, and I, you know, as I said earlier in this episode, if Travis is going to put up stuff on USA Judo, I'm going to find out about it. Because, look, hey, I follow him on Twitter. He's one of the few people that I have an instant notification for. So basically, if he does anything online, I'm going to know about it. It's, he's just, like I said, he's an interesting guy. I think he's got a lot of great perspectives. He's a tough guy, and, and he's very straight to the point. And a couple of, like I said, about almost two weeks ago, he put up a post titled, Makes You Really Wonder. I'm going to read most of it, if not all of it, because I think it offers really some perspective on what he's thinking in, in regards to USA Judo and how to build up the national program. So, all right, so here it goes. Does anyone think it's weird that not one Olympic medalist in the sport of Judo since the 1980s has ever been an employee of USA Judo? Makes you wonder why, doesn't it? Could it be because none of the Olympic medalists want to be involved in USA Judo? Well, if that's the case... We would have to ask why someone would dedicate so much of their life to the sport just to walk away and not be involved in its future growth on a national scale. Can USA Judo not afford to hire an Olympic medalist when they decided to retire from athletic competition? This leads us to ask even more questions like why haven't we, as a community, addressed this with the USA Judo powers that be? Or do you, the community, Feel like it's not worth their time to trying to solve this because an Olympic medalist doesn't actually add any value to the program at USA Judo. 
at least any value is worth paying for, that is. It's just an interesting thought that when you think of all the best judo players in the history of our country cannot get jobs coaching or at least working at USA Judo. They have a budget to pay coaches, but they treat them like subcontractors, changing them out for almost every event, paying between $500 and $1,000 for anyone who's available to go and coach the future of our sport. This approach does not allow coaches to get truly involved or invested in the day-to-day training and development of the athletes. USA Judo athletes entered in 29 total senior level events in the year 2017. Out of all the coaches that attended these, not one of them is an official employee of USA Judo. Furthermore, not one person was consistently at any of these events at any level. Uh, this is me. That I can certainly speak to because uh, I, I you know, follow these events. Continuing on. We had a different coach for the World Championships than we do for the World Masters. Grand Prix. this job was split up between two or three different coaches. Who do they report to? Is there someone that's supposed to be in charge of tracking the team's progress? Is there a person behind the curtain we aren't seeing? When you look at it like this, it makes you even ask more questions like, Does the community of USA Judo feel that professional coaching isn't worth paying for? Does the community of USA Judo actually feel that sending an athlete overseas to be coached by someone who knows nothing about the athlete's judo or the development process is a smart choice? Does USA Judo feel like they are all-knowing and that they don't need the advice of people who have actually performed at the highest level? I would hope that for the first and second is not true and the community does. In fact, we want professional coaches or want professional coaches. If I was coaching an athlete and they wanted to make a run at becoming an Olympian, I would like to be able to send them somewhere I know they will be looked after by people who have the same goals as my athlete. Right now, there is not a program in the United States that does this. Everyone has other jobs, other agendas that take priority because we have to be able to live and eat. I would make the argument that if USA Judo doesn't feel the need to hire a full-time coach, then they cannot expect athletes to make the same full-time job commitment to becoming a champion. Even hiring a part-time coach and making sure that they are dealing with the athletes on a consistent basis, game planning, video studying, and doing technique technique sessions is something I feel has great value and a step in the right direction. Also, being able to travel when they need to travel is important. Furthermore, How can we expect people to leave their family in full-time jobs for a four-day trip to Europe out of the kindness of their hearts? How do do they justify this? Paying these coaches a fair wage for their service is a necessity. If this is their full-time job, the expectations are set out ahead of time. As an athlete, if I didn't have the coaching and management staff across my career, I don't think I would have earned the same results as I have today. Having people there I know and trust helped me guide, helped guide me and was essential to my success. So that's the entire, entire article right there. And he's p- putting USA Judo on blast. Now, he put this article up, like I said, nine, ten days ago. And then he took it down about an hour later. And again, Travis, I doubt you're listening to this. But if you if you are, look, man. <laughs> You put something up, people are going to read it, people are going to archive it, people like me, because I think what you wrote is worth archiving and worth having a discussion about. I don't know why you took it down. 
Um, I'm sure you have your reasons, but if there's one thing I've learned uh, um, being on the interwebs for over 20 plus years, you, you can't just put something on the internet and expect it to just disappear. It's always there forever in some way, shape, or form. Somebody's going to see it. Somebody's going to want to comment on it. And that's what I'm here for. So with that, it's hard for me to comment on some of the specifics about USA Judo simply because I don't, um, I, I'm not inside those walls. I'm not part of that decision-making process at all. I've talked to people who are inside those walls, and I, I truly believe USA Judo is on a path to growing the program. However, I do think there is a lot that this program can be improved on. And, and guys, to so put this out there, I'm very interested in seeing the USA Judo national program grow because I do believe that the success at the national level will trickle down to the recreational level, the local level, the regional level. I really believe that will happen. And I, I just, you got to have a full-time coach if there isn't one and it's my understanding there is not a paid full-time coach is there a coach of the usa judo program that's making at least a hundred thousand dollars a year coaching our elite athletes because in my opinion that's really what it takes i would venture to guess that athletes or coaches around the world and some of these successful countries have a full-time coach dedicated to uh, the development of the national program and I've said this before, why not take a page out of what Brazil does? Look at Brazil. They are consistently on the metal, metal stands, and they are also on this side of the world. So the geography, Brazil has managed to figure out the geography issue, um, and they are finding success, and they've been successful for many, many years. And it just seems like there's a bit of... When it comes to growing the program, it seems there's a bit of dysfunction. I, I hate to say that because I'm over here sitting behind a microphone. I'm not inside those walls. But from what I have observed as an outsider, a lot of what Travis is saying in his blog here resonates with my observations. There are a couple of questions that Travis asked a reader in here. He, he asked uh, one of the first ones he asked... Um, in the second group of questions, actually, he goes, does the community of USA Judo feel that professional coaching isn't worth paying for? <laughs> in my opinion, I, I would venture to guess the general uh, USA Judo community doesn't care about that. I mean, I, I think it's important to have a single guy running the program at a national level. But I would venture to guess if I were to ask a lot of sensei around here, they wouldn't really care. Because they're more concerned about you know their own club, which which makes sense, and growing their membership, and, and that obviously makes sense because they're, you know, they, especially the coaches that are making a living out of this, um, it makes sense that their focus is going to be on the local level and 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 getting kids ready to compete at a you know the states and the regionals and even the national championships, but I wonder. How many coaches who who have large programs, if they are as concerned about getting somebody to the Olympics as they are getting 
more publicity and, and more newspaper articles for their own club and their local paper. I really hate saying that or even suggesting that because I, it's it's unfair for me to take my observations at judo in my local area and then apply that and then just paint with a broad brush and apply that to every program, every club across the United States. I, I will say this. I, I think Travis would be surprised and disappointed that the overwhelming majority of the USA judo community probably um, doesn't feel that paying for a coach at the national level is worth it. Because for those coaches, they're thinking to themselves, well, how does that really benefit me directly? And it would be a hard sell to say, look, you know, I because these coaches and, and really the paying members, they pay to support USA Judo and they hope to get something out of it besides just something like the insurance. You need it for promotions and things like that, but you, you hope for a little bit more. And I don't think, you know, if, if the sell to the membership is, hey, pay all of these dues every single year, the coaching badge and stuff, because it's all going to go to support a coach that we don't have yet, a coach for a national program that will not directly impact you one bit. Hey, pay all these dues every single year. Uh, it That's a tough sell for a lot of clubs that are just barely getting by. So I think a lot of those club members may be more focused on you know, growing their own membership. And I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing, but that might be the reality. I don't, I perhaps the, the community as a whole is, it d- doesn't feel it's worth paying for a coach. I think it's worth it, but you know, that's easy for me, for me to say, because I'm not a club owner. Travis asks the second question goes, does the community of USA judo actually feel that sending an athlete overseas to be coached by someone who knows nothing about their athletes, judo or the development process is a smart choice. And I would venture to well I've come across I, I've come across people that do think it's a good idea because you you know especially some of the old school guys they're like well you know back in the day we went to Japan and you know we were there for all these months and we learned from the very best and you know I don't know if going overseas is the best option I I, I mean I don't think that's the best way to handle an athlete's growth I think I mean, I think you either need to hire, you know, one of the very few Olympic medal winners that we've had in judo in the United States, or you need to bring in somebody who's won a medal, who stood at the highest levels, who's competed at the highest levels, bring them over here and pay them. Other countries do it. I, I, I other country, you know, they don't, you don't have to be the, the, uh, native to the country in order to, to grow, you know, be the head coach of a country. I, you know, why not get Darcel Yanzi from France to become the head coach for USA Judo? Uh, you, you know, he's, sure, he's from France. Who cares? I mean, he's he's competed at the highest level. I'm not. I'm just throwing a name out there because that was just the first thing that came in my mind. But do, do you see what I'm saying? Why, why not get somebody who is one at the highest levels to be the head coach of USA Judo? Why not? Instead of sending athletes over overseas, which that's a tremendous cost. I, I think of all the athletes that may get sent overseas every single year. Um, you know, a lot of that money could be could go toward actually paying a a, a coach's salary. And and again, guys, look, I understand. 
I, I'm not inside those walls. I, I, I can't speak to USA Judo's finances other than what they put out in public. Um, so I'm really not trying to be critical. I'm just kind of asking, wondering the same things that Travis is wondering right now uh, or in this blog that he posted. And the last question he directs to the reader, he goes, does USA Judo feel like they're all-knowing and that they don't need the advice of people who have actually performed at the highest level? Now, let me tell you, I've come across that coach. My old judo coach used to used to say, you know, there's a lot of people around here who are legends in their own minds. And they run their clubs that way. And they treat other people that way. And they, you know, a lot of people like that believe that their way is the best way for training and, and that they don't need the help and advice of other people. Uh, so, so long as their kids are winning, you know, local medals or state medals or whatever the case may be, it really doesn't matter. And I, I think there is a lot of that. And, you know, I've talked about in the past about the old guard of judo and you need to, you need, you know, new blood in there and things like that. And I do think that for some people, perhaps some club owners that have larger clubs, and I don't mean everybody, for God's sake, please, guys, don't get this twisted. I don't mean everybody. I'm sure there are some club owners with very large clubs that have a successful program where they almost become like my 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 old coach used to say they become legend their legends in their own minds and it's it's their way or or no other way and that's it and they're out there and I think it hurts judo growth in the United States in the long run, especially if people only look at looking after their own self-interest. So I personally think there needs to be a paid head coach for USA Judo. That's going to be the, because to me, what's the point? If you don't have that guy, what you are doing right now, unless you're sending your kids to train at Jimmy Pedro's, all the time, you're not going to make it onto the Olympic medal stand. It's it's that simple. I, I I mean I hate to put it that way, but every just about every Olympian that in from the United States that have made it to the medal stand over the past 10, 10 20 years, Jimmy Pedro has had a, a a part of that athlete's development, and we all can't send our athletes to Jimmy Pedro, but perhaps if you had a guy out there who maybe put a, together a, a, a coaching program. I mean, a real instruction-like coaching program on how to get a child from the, the earliest levels, whatever it may be, to as far as they can go. We're talking about training plan, nutrition plan, you know, weightlifting plan, um, aerobics plan, yoga plan, wh whatever it is that these elite-level athletes do. Because... I think, speaking for myself, if I knew what elite coaches do to prepare their athletes, I would want to do the same exact thing. Yeah, I'm just an assistant coach at a local club. I get it. But I would want to give my very best, giving the very best instruction because I don't know how to do it. And I would venture to guess there's a lot of club owners that don't know how to do it either. They just teach to judo that they were taught when they were kids or, or adults or when they came through the ranks, however it may be. 
They teach what they know and they spread that knowledge. But as far as getting better, as far as becoming a better coach, there's not a program in, in place to raise the level of coaching across the United States. And yeah, so I'm a USA Judo regional coach. That's great. It means I can stand on the sidelines and yell at referees when they when I think they get the call wrong. But that's about it. I don't really know the first thing about coaching. I, I just I know what I've seen other people do, but I don't really know if that's right. I and, and I, I would love to see if you can't bring in a full time coach, then have somebody put together a program that makes sense. I think especially with Travis's blog. I think Travis is trying to take the bull by the horns with his with his uh, project that he's got going. Um, and he's trying to do what USA Judo or what he feels USA Judo isn't doing. He's trying to provide that sort of training regimen. Um, he's holding clinics and things like that. But he's just one guy and he can't he can't keep travel. Well, maybe he can. I have no idea, but. It's asking a lot for one guy to travel to so many places around the country to hold clinics and stuff to try and improve the the coaching level and or the skill level of the kids. But I think what needs to happen is that the coaching level needs to improve somehow. And for myself, what? Why not some kind of? I I know I know an online course isn't isn't perfect, but it's a step in the right direction to me. I, I just. Uh, I don't know how to be a coach. I know I can teach Ukemi. I can teach Sayanagi. I can I can teach Osorogari. I can teach Keisugatami. You know, I, I can teach a lot of things about judo, but it doesn't make me a coach. And and, and that's, I think, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I would venture to guess there's a lot of other people out there that don't know what it takes to be a coach, to, to, to really coach a child up and, and really be an effective uh, teacher in that regard I just I I do what I've what I've been taught and my coach learned from a lot of um, experienced coaches he did learn from Jimmy Pedro he did learn from Jason Morris he learned from a lot of experienced coaches that have had experience bringing bringing uh, their students to the highest levels and he imparted uh, uh, some of that knowledge to me, a, a lot of it actually, and I, uh, my, I flew through the Q ranks, uh, very quickly, largely because of his coaching, not so much because of my, you, you, any sort of natural ability. I mean, judo does does come a lot easier for me than it does for a lot of other people, but I didn't go through the ranks simply because, or, or I didn't improve as quickly as I did because of because I'm just so awesome. It was coaching. And I was I was taught a certain way, and he didn't deviate from that. I know there's a lot of coaches out there that, or or sensei out there that that um, when they teach a class, they may teach three different techniques in one class. Where with my coach, we worked on a technique for six weeks, and we worked all different variations of that technique. And and when we did Rondori, we would focus on doing that specific technique, trying to incorporate that technique within my repertoire. And it was an effective way for me to learn quickly as an adult um, and, and bridge the gap. I know kids are different, but I do think a lot of coaches and a lot of sensei out there 
teach the adults like they teach children and kids and adults learn differently. I, I know, I know my growth, my, my development was stagnating in, in, in the first year because I, I was being taught like how the kids were being taught. And that's not a slam on my original instructor, but that's just the way it was. My, I, I got very good, very quickly. Once I, once I was with my, with my longtime coach who's since passed away. And for myself, I can teach a class. I, I, I don't like, you know, when I'm running the class, I try and do things the way that I was taught. I, I don't, I don't like to overstep bounds um, because I'm just an assistant at this club. I, I haven't even been showing up very often simply because my schedule's been so hectic. But for myself, I teach, if I had a judo class, I would teach the way that I was taught. But I'm limited without knowing how to improve as a coach. And yeah, sure, there's superstar judo, but that's it's not the same. I, I Sure, you can use superstar judo and learn some things and, and see how athletes you know see these uh, athletes favor techniques and how they get into them and stuff but coaching is a lot more than just taking a look at a few videos on a pay site and and trying to teach that to your kids you it's it's a lot more than that all right i want to talk a little bit about the tokyo grand slam it was the last uh well i shouldn't say the last major ijf tournament because there is the masters tournament coming up this this weekend on the weekend of the uh, the 15th through the 17th. The Tokyo Grand Slam took place a couple of weeks ago. And, and as I predicted, and it's really no surprise. <laughs> Japan cleaned house in this tournament. Now, some of the, the superstar names that I'm used to seeing were not in attendance at this tournament. For example, Teddy Renner, uh, Guram Tushishvili. Tal Flicker did not show up from Israel, even though Israel did send a delegation. It was a very, very small delegation. Uh, France's team was very small. Uh, Majlinda Kalmendi did not come. Let's see, who else was missing from this tournament? Russia did not send anybody of note. Let's see, Great Britain only sent one person, and it wasn't Natalie Powell or uh, Nakota Smythe-Davis. So there were a lot of countries that did show up, but, but some of the names that I'm used to seeing... Up on the medal stand, they were not there. Uh, some people were, like uh, David Mora of Brazil was there. Um, let's see, who else was there? Audrey Tremeo was there, but not uh, Clarice Abagnenu. So, so it was a mixed bag tournament, and, and the Japanese took full advantage of who, who didn't show up and, and really cleaned house. They won a total of, let's see this count, 32 medals in this event. And they also had... Six fifth place finishes and four seventh place finishes. There was only two other countries in this tournament that ended up with a gold medal. That was Atgang Batar of Mongolia and Cho Guham of South Korea in the under 100 kilo division. Which, if he won that division, it makes me think Aaron Wolf did not compete. Let me take a look here real quick. And no, he did not. He did not compete in this tournament. I think I already knew that. Uh, I think I read that in the last um, in the last episode. To nobody's surprise, the Abe siblings ended up taking first place in their respective divisions, Hufumi Abe in the under 66 kilo division and Uta Abe in the under 52 kilo division. Uh, no match Linda Kelmendi in this tournament. Uh, I'm not even sure if she could beat uh, Uta Abe at this point uh, because she's been on a tear. Sarah Asahina took the over 78 kilo division. 
Now, Hisa Takato got the under 60 kilo division. Let's see who else. Uh, Ogawa got the over 100 kilo division in this event. And Shohei Ono made his return to the Tokyo Grand Slam. It's his first competition all year. And he ended up winning one match and losing a match. He lost to Arthur uh, Margdelion of Canada. As far as matches to watch, you got to start with Hufumi Abe, who was donning his red back patch indicating that he is the current world champion in his division. He had a very lively match against fellow countryman Yoshio Maruyama, and he threw him with the pawn for, I, I would, it almost looked like Ouchigari to Osotogari. I would venture, to, I think it was Ouchigari, but it, it actually could have been the combo there. Either way, threw him right on his back uh, for Ipon. Beautiful technique, beautiful movement. Man, this guy is just, <laughs> just incredible to watch. He, he's really, really something else. And if you haven't, if you didn't watch any of this Tokyo Grand Slam, if you watch nobody else, at the very least, do yourself a favor and watch Fumi Abe. Abe had five matches of the day, and four out of those five matches ended in Nippon. The only one that did not end in Nippon was his contest against Davidorj of Mongolia, which, which quite frankly, look, that's no surprise because Davidorj is also a top-tier player in this division, and he's done a lot of things in his career at in the under-66 kilo division. So that doesn't surprise me one bit. He ended up getting the uh, Awazari in golden score, I believe, and... This is one of those continuation calls. And this is one of those calls where people have every right to be upset about the current rule set with uh, a, a Yuko counting as as, as an Ipon, well, or counting towards uh, uh, Wazari Awaseti Ipon moving forward. Because this, Davidorj was, was thrown clearly on his side, but more facing toward the, toward his, you know, toward the ground. But the continuation gives it the, Wazari in this uh, at this point, I guess, and and it just it didn't look very good, but but it was still an excellent match to watch through and through. In the under sixty kilo division, Takato of Japan defeated Dashtava of Mongolia in a in a very curious end. I don't I don't agree with the call here at all. It didn't it didn't look like Takato actually threw Dashtava. It looked like Dashtava just kind of fell on his back and and. Takato ran around his legs and, and got on top of him for the case of Katami and the ref call Mate. I think he was going to reset them, but he, I think he got the call from the side judges saying, or, you know, from whoever does the instant replay, if you want to call it that. And, and they awarded him, uh, they, they awarded Takato with the upon. Feel free to check it out. Uh, it's um, Takato versus Dashtavai. And I, I, you, you guys can let me know what you think about that. I, I, I think uh, Dashtava got robbed there, but regardless of that, congratulations to Takato. There was some really excellent action in the under-78 kilo final between Hamada of Japan and Steenhuis of the Netherlands. Now, Hamada ended up throwing Steenhuis with Dayashi Barai, and she followed that up immediately with with a Shimewaza attack. I could, with the camera angle, I couldn't tell exactly what she did. But she tapped her out pretty quickly, probably in about six seconds and uh, after after she threw it for Wazari. So pretty impressive victory and pretty impressive match altogether. It's one uh, I and I'm not going to go over every single match here. I just wanted to cover some of the ones that I did watch and, and some of the ones that I found of interest. I, of course, given that weekend, I went to Epcot, which was wonderful, by the way. Um, 
I did not get a chance to see a lot of matches in this tournament, but I did want to comment on some of the highlights, at least the ones that I saw, some of the highlights. In the under 90 kilo division, you had Nagasawa of Japan defeating fellow countryman Kobayashi. Wonder if I wonder if he's related to the Kobayashi who used to win those hot dog eating concerts contests. Anyway, uh, Nag- Nagasawa threw Kobayashi with a beautiful uh, uchimata, and I see that Kobayashi tried to get out of it by landing on his head. Which I, I don't know why these guys continue to do that. I I think um, I think we talked about this before that the, that the IJF is looking to punish. A lot more severely anybody who does that and I, I I think that's that's a step in the right direction but regardless of that Nagasawa beautifully pawn uh 30 seconds into the contest no less too so so you don't have to watch a lot of judo to see that beautiful throw so again Nagasawa congratulations to him for winning gold in this event oh and before I forget and this I, I just remembered this because I was just talking about IJF rule changes and stuff I want to talk about a rule change or a change in bylaws or something. Now, I've only heard this as a rumor through Reddit, uh, through a post in Reddit. For those of you who's been listening to me since since the early days, since, you know, since I started, my very first interview was a fellow by the name of Bob from Australia. And we had a lengthy discussion about his inability to get promoted to Shodan because as a as somebody who commit uh, competes in the masters division no it, no matter how old you are you have to earn points in the senior divisions in order to ever get a Shodan in Australia under the JFA and it, this was just it, it was a it, it was interesting to me at the time it still is because well, one, Bob was my first interview. And secondly, there was a lot of people that didn't really understand or, or know that about the JFA. And and I thought it was I thought it was unfortunate. I, I don't think, um, you know, want to talk about what's fair, or what's not fair. I don't think that's fair for people who, you know, to put in 10, 12 years of their life doing judo. Um, and because, look, I don't want to get into a discussion on rank on this episode. We can save that for another episode. But I've, I've made myself very clear on that. If you're going to have a rank system, you need to allow people to have a path through that rank system. And, you, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody should be, you know, I'm not saying everybody should be promoted to Shodan or or everybody should be, you know, promoted to higher ranks in judo. I, I think I think there's limits, um, you know, certainly for myself. I don't I can't imagine ever getting beyond the Sandan personally. Um, heck, Nidan would be nice at this point. But my, but the thing is, is that, you know, somebody who puts in a lot of time with the understanding, with the rank system, you put in the time, you earn the points at competitions and stuff. Well, he found out that it doesn't, uh, all those points that he had earned in competitions didn't count because they were in master's competitions. So regardless of all of that, I found out that the JFA changed their rules. I guess there is a new national grading syllabus, and um, I I haven't taken a look at the JFA's website to, to validate this, but hey, somebody out there in Australia or Oz, as they call it, at least I think they do, can can confirm this with me. That I think that would be great. I I would love to talk a little bit more about this. And and Bob, if you're listening, it's got to be great news. I don't I know you're still probably recovering from your knee injury, but 
you know, maybe you can get that path to Shodan after all without uh, having to go, you know, through a, a bunch of different hoops or whatnot. And look, I'm not going to take credit for this change. But I do find it curious <laughs> that a long-standing promotion process that has been a part of the JFA for years and years and years and years and years eventually changes uh, months after I talk about it on my podcast. I'm just saying. It's just a coincidence, is it not? Just kind of a curious coincidence. But look, I'm not saying I, I triggered any change. But being able to use this microphone and and this this podcast as a means to discuss these things. Because, you know, after that interview... I did get some email from people or or some comments, uh, very, very few comments, you know, people saying, why is he complaining about rank? You know, what's the big deal? You do judo to, to, because you love judo. But you know what? There are, it, it wasn't right. You know, there's got to, if, you, if you're going to have a rank system, you got to have a path through at the very least Q ranks all the way up through Shodan. That, that's just, I, I feel very strongly about that. At least have a path. I'm not saying give, showed on to everybody but have a path available a, a reasonable path and making somebody coach for for 10 years you know earning like one point a year and you need 100 points or something like that i i don't think that's that's feasible and i don't think it's 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 fair or or feasible to ask people who are in their late 30s and 40s to compete with with uh older teens and young adults who are in the who are in the prime of their athletic careers that's i i think that's ridiculous but I'm glad that things are slowly changing over at the JFA. I think, um, look, I think you need, you, you if you can't get people to stay in judo once their competitive careers are over, and you can't get people to higher ranks who are recreational, who may start later in life, then then you're going to have, then judo's going to get snuffed out of, eventually. You're going to You're going to keep losing membership. And, you know, you can't, judo can't go that way. I'm not saying you give a black belt to everybody, but you can't, you can't make Shodan so hard that it feels like an accomplishment once you get there. And, and look, don't get me wrong. Shodan is a, is a, is an accomplishment, but it's not like the biggest deal in the world. It, it really isn't. Yodan, that's, that's a big deal. Yodan and up, that's, that's a very big deal in my opinion. But, you know, Shodan should not be this. You know, just because it's a black belt, it shouldn't be some some super hard thing to get. And and I think a lot of other martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu included, has has kind of painted this picture of what a black belt should be when when it has completely different meanings. You know, it's from its original intent, basically. But again, I I don't I don't want to get into showdown and rank in, in this episode i just wanted to report about the jfa and i think that's really good news all right so look i think i'm going to be done here i've rambled on long enough i'm really looking forward to my cruise i really need the vacation i can't wait to go snorkeling and and um and spend time with my wife and, and spend time away from everybody to be honest um because i i need a vacation i i'm i'm a bit fried from the year uh, I, I keep saying on the episodes that, that I've been so busy. I've been so busy. Well, it's time for me to unplug completely. And I, um, I'm i looking forward to it. It should have a really good time. Unfortunately, I got to drive about three and a half hours to get to the, to the port. But um, it could be worse. 
So with that, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and or whatever holiday you choose to celebrate during this time of year. If it's no holiday, well, you know, I hope you have a good week regardless of that. Spend time with family. Tell somebody you love that you love them. This Sunday will mark the two-year anniversary of my brother's passing. So you know, even though I'm leaving for my cruise on that day, I do so with a heavy heart and, and strong uh, fondness and remembrance of him. I miss you, Gabe. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open, open, open.